0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Ponds, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. A
1: number of weeks ago, we felt very inclined to the Lord that we should study what the Bible would say about character building about how that the character of Christ could be built within us and how that we can become more Christ-like. And truly, who wouldn't want to be like Christ? Loving when we need to be loving, loving and tough when we need to be tough, meek and kind and full of joy and helpful and sacrificial, all the things of Christ we would want to have in us. But for some people it's helpful if we give you some pegs. What are some character traits? That Christ would have, or God would have, that we could have in our life, and we could look to those and then see how they could be lived out through us. So we came up with, we felt, was a working explanation of what character itself is, and that is the combination of moral qualities, which show forth the righteousness of Christ in and through the life of a Christian. So it's not something that we work up, it's not some secular program, as good as they are, it's really the combination of moral qualities that are found in Christ, but then allowing Christ to live his life out through us. And so every week we've taken the ABCs. A, availability, B, benevolence, C, courage, and so on. Well, today we're at the letter H, and it's easy for you to see that we're going to be talking about hope today. But I'm going to come at hope a little bit from a back door. I talked about it with our pastoral team, our spiritual leaders of the church. And on our team, we were carefully wanting to know if I would speak on this subject and come at it from a back door, if it would be appropriate for kids to hear. And it was very confidently agreed upon, very quickly, that if I can do it as, discret- as I can and yet still speak on it, it would be very important for parents and young people to hear this. So this message isn't just to them, but unfortunately, the statistics you're about to hear really reveals a lot that's going on in the world of our youth but it's also happening in the world of the adults as well. So here's a question for you. What event has taken nine teenagers' lives in Plano, Texas, one little tiny town, and a small little circle in that town, in just one year? What event has taken the life of one award-winning actor's son? What one event has taken about 120 people in Hawaii alone annually? Now, when I think about 120 people, that's somewhat of our average here on a Sunday morning. It would be like we would be wiped out every year and having to start over. What's that one event? It happens to be suicide. And so for the next few minutes, I want to talk a little bit bit about suicide. And you can tell that I'm not very comfortable sharing this, although I'm confident that we need to know that this is very important for us to understand and how it comes about in our life. When you really think about suicide and when a person faces suicide, there's something usually of an emotion that's going on and if there could be one emotion that a person is experiencing who is facing suicide and taking his life, it isn't so much that he feels like he's loved less or that he's merely out of money, it's generally because there's this overwhelming sense of what is known as hopelessness. And if I could define hopelessness to you, not hope, but hopelessness, it would be Not believing there are good things waiting for me in the future. There's the sense that the future is even more painful than the pain that I'm experiencing right now. So that my life, should I expire, would be actually far better for me. Now, you might say, well, really they could be mad at other people and they're doing that and couldn't other people help? And I am not a psychologist and I don't want to put together a message filled with psychobabble. But... I'm not there the moment someone actually, unfortunately, pulls the trigger or whatever. But there are some things that we can see that a person has in their life and seems to be more characteristic of a person who is developing hopelessness in their life. Now, while I'll talk about suicide and I'll talk a little bit more about physical suicide, there are other kinds of suicide where you can put yourself to death. Death merely means a separation. When I put myself to death physically, obviously, I'm expiring physically. But I could have social suicide where I'm putting to death relationships in my life because of hopelessness. In other words, I'm cocooning or becoming maybe someone who wants to be a hermit. Or I could commit financial suicide that I just don't care about life. It's so hopeless, so I'm just going to run up my credit cards until I can't stand it any longer. And there's all sort marital suicide, etc. But I do want to talk a little bit more about the physical suicide. So to help you maybe connect a little bit better, here's a very... Painful question to ask you. Without you standing up, but willing to be public enough about it with a raise of hand, how many of you have had a family member, a friend, someone that you know, you can see them in your mind's eye right now, you even know their name, maybe even had some form of verbal intercourse with them that have committed suicide? Would you raise your hand? Okay, hold them up high for just a moment. Now, just glance around the room. Look at how many committed suicide. Now, here's another question. How many of you know of someone, and you could include yourself, but you've known someone who contemplated suicide, talked about it, came to a point where that it wasn't just like I'm talking about suicide today. How many of you have known someone like that thought about suicide? Would you raise your hand? Okay. I'm sure that could be everybody's case here, family member, close friend, whatever. Now, I haven't had people... Commit suicide a lot around me. I've never experienced it up close and personal. I can tell you that when I was a senior in high school, a young man that I sat next to in school, very quiet young man of the Jewish faith, he um he hung himself in the backyard of his house and his parents found him and cut him down and the school then asked if I would represent the school somewhat knowing that I was a Christian, to do something for that family. And I brought him an Old Testament, brought him the Pentateuch, the Torah, brought him all that I could bring to him, to the family actually. And I had my first eye-opening experience firsthand as a 12 grader wanting to be able to give the gospel to a family who was Jewish out of my religious realm committing suicide. If I fast forwarded into my ministry career, sometimes we who are in a ministry will invite various people to do a seminar, to speak, maybe to even do a song or two. I remember one time in our church we invited this family that was uh, very involved in a Christian school and so they came up and they did a whole package, dad and mom and the kids and they're all doing their little number and it was really nice. But I noticed that one of the young people just didn't seem to be in sync with the rest of the family. There was a lack of a countenance of joy or peace or something and I don't want to always judge that but I noticed it enough that I commented to one of my team members and I said, you know, there's something that isn't exactly right with that person. I'd like to know what it is. I didn't get to that person. Within a week of them singing and performing in our ministry, our church, as our guests, the mom and dad came home and The sun expired by turning the gas on in the kitchen. And so it happens to all around us. And and here, I want to speak on hope. But I think it's important for us to have our eyes open to the concept of, of suicide in the young people on our island. Every 90 minutes, someone in the United States, a teenager, will kill himself. Suicide among teenagers is up in the last 20 years Not 10%, not 100%, not 200%, but 300% suicide has just skyrocketed. 50% of the teens who committed suicide, drugs were involved in some measure of this. So half of them. But I thought, you know what, that's the mainland we can go on. But we live on an island. And because we live in Hawaii, it's better for us to know, what about the kids that your kids play with? What about the kids that you have to slow down for when they're playing in the street when you drive home? What about the own kids that are right out here in our own neighborhoods? And so listen to these statistics. and the research that I've done, I've come up with the following areas. And I'm going to try to build a pattern to show you the pattern. And what you're going to see is the percentage of people nationwide, teenagers, and the percentage of Hawaiian kids or island kids. So first of all, those who felt sad or hopeless. The nation, the kids, 26.1%. Island kids shot up to 31.8%. That means almost a third of our kids in school have some sense of feeling sad or hopeless, and that's our word. Well, then we move into those that feel unsafe at school. In the nation, and you know what's going on in the nation today, in some of the hard schools, 5.8% of the kids feel that it's unsafe at school. In Hawaii, 7.8% feel it's unsafe. Well, then how many seriously considered suicide? In the nation, 14.5% of the kids did. In Hawaii, it shoots up to 18.5%. Just considered suicide. How many then went from the considering to actually framing a plan that the statisticians then tell us that um, is pretty accurate? In the nation, 11.5% of the kids in the nation developed a plan of suicide. But in Hawaii, it went all the way to 17%. Now, how many actually then attempted suicide? Out of those that attempted suicide, nation was 79 Hawaii was 12%. And I'll give you the last statistic here. Out of those that uh, was treated for the suicide attempt, that means they did it, but they didn't die. And the nation was 26 And in Hawaii, 3%. So I want you to know that it's quite rampant. And perhaps those of you that are listening here publicly or those on the radio or on the CD, you might have experienced that up close and personal. We've had a member here that just joined that are not here today, husband and wife. Their son, as a young adult, not a teenager, committed suicide. I was going to speak in this message and I went to them ahead of time Telling them that they they could miss today if they didn't want to hear this on suicide and hopelessness. And I wanted to give them a heads up and they said, Well, Pastor, we're going to be on the mainland, but we would want to be there. And we give you full permission to share our story if you want to in the message. So I'm being as tender as I can to those of you that have experienced that and why people might commit suicide. So I'm going to take you through scripture, a little journey here in the study that I have. And so I would like to give you two people that did commit suicide in Scripture that we have been able to easily identify. And while you're turning in your Bibles and getting your paper out to maybe take some notes, let me make something very clear to you so I could arrest some of your fears. The statistics that I gave you, Nation and Hawaii of teenagers, none of them came from homeschool. None of that came from Christian school. It all came from the public school system. Now, I don't know what that would do to the figures. It might skew them a little bit, but I did not want you to think it's part of the same number package. Okay, we have two different people in the Bible that committed suicide. The two people that committed suicide are very well known to those of you that know something about Scripture. What might not be known so much, unless you think a little bit about it, is in each case there was a satanic involvement. In other words, there really is a Satan. Those of us who believe the Bible, those of us who know Scripture, we believe that there really is a real being who is an anti-God Satan. And so Satan was involved in this. You have King Saul. The first verse I gave you, 1 Samuel twenty-eight nineteen, talks about essentially where he had gone and then it was prophesied that he would die because he had gone to a witch. Now the rest of the verse, you'll notice here, it says, then Saul said to his armor bearer at the time he was in battle, he says, draw your sword, thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not kill him. So he then killed himself. And so I want you to know Satan was involved. He went to a, a, a witch to get information. And so all that was swimming around in his mind. And he was doing something that was wrong. And all that's part of it. And then, of course, we all know Judas Iscariot. We know that as Judas was coming near the end, he gave up the Lord. He betrayed the Lord. But Satan then dwelt in him. And then later on, you could read, particularly there in Matthew 27, verse 3 through 5, And you can see at the very end, he says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then Judas threw down the pieces of silver that he was paid in the temple and departed and he went and he hanged himself. So I don't know that I can define exactly that uh, there's only one way to commit suicide. In this passage, we see someone used a sword. Satan was involved. Another person hanged himself. Satan was involved. Now, however Satan is involved in this, Some of you might be saying, well, that person was on drugs, or that person was just cranked up on something. Well, I realize that for most secular people, they will look at those signs and say that's what caused them to come to this point. But I would like to tell you that we who have a biblical Christian worldview, we know that Satan is a liar. We know that Satan is a murderer. We know that Satan is a destroyer. So what Satan wants to do is take that which was created in the image of God, which would be a human being, whether he's a Christian or not, and destroy that person. And whatever he can do to mess up a Christian's mind, which I believe even a Christian could commit suicide, I want you to know, though, that Satan is going to be involved. Now, he may use the tool of drugs. He may use the tool of dysfunctional upbringing. He may use the tool of whatever's out there. But Satan is going to do what he can to destroy that which was created in the image of God because suicide, listen, young people, is never an acceptable form of death. It is not God's will for you to commit suicide. In fact... No matter how bad it is, and your rational mind might say, well, if heaven is better and I want to be with Jesus, shouldn't I want to be there as fast as I can and away I go? And the answer is absolutely not. Listen to my phrase. You never want to stand before God before he wants you to. Now you take that and write that down in your heart. You never want to stand before God before God is ready Then and let him be the author of that for your life. Well, it's not just suicide. Satan can bring you to a point of near suicide. You see the maniac of Gadara. And it says here, then this man came to Jesus out of the tombs. This man, he had an unclean spirit. You might want to underline that. Again, Satan is involved. What was he doing? Crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now, I know that there is a cutting thing that's going on. And we might even go into tattooing. We might go in a whole bunch of other directions. But we do know, watch this now, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, it could be the pre-temple, if you don't know Christ as Savior. In other words, it's not His temple until He lives inside of you, but it's still His being in which He wants to indwell. And if you are a Christian, then that body needs to be as healthy as possible. And I have a whole sermon on taking care of our body and not being a selfish, fleshy thing. It's a godly thing to do to take care of your body. And so here is this person that's been influenced by an unclean spirit who is cutting himself. So, what you don't want to do is to do anything to the temple. I know it's your body, but it was bought with his blood to mar that. Hopelessness. Or perhaps feeling, I need something more, and whatever I do to my body will give me more. That's like you're hopeless without it. And if you're not hopeless without it, then don't do it. All right, then it says, The son with a mute spirit. Teacher, I brought you my son who is a mute spirit. And how often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. So there was this this spirit inside of him, a demonic spirit. Again, causing affliction to the temple of God, which is a body, not a building. This isn't the temple, okay? This is not the house of God. We're the house of God. We meet in a building as little houses of God, perhaps, for the Lord. So I wanted you to keep that in mind just a little bit to help you. Now, I'd like to talk about hope. So what does hope mean? So I went back to the regular death dictionary because I want to move a little bit away from suicide. I'll come back to it in a moment if I have some time. But for right now, I want to move away to talk a little bit more about hope. If I go back to a death dictionary, it simply means to desire with expectation of fulfillment. In other words, you're desiring something that you expect that will be fulfilled. Now generally if it's hope, it's not going to be something like I expect me to lose my job and therefore it will be fulfilled and I can't stand living any longer. It's more of a positive expectation, a hope, looking to the future. But the one I really liked is when I went back to the first dictionary of the American language that was done by Noah Webster who we know was a believer. And here's what he did with his Christian worldview still giving us a dictionary of the language whether you're saved or not. And here's what he said. He said, hope is confidence in a future event. Confidence. Then it says, the highest degree of well-founded expectation of good. I like that phrase. The highest confidence, expectation of good in the future. That's hope. That means you you have a hope on something that is so big, it's bigger than what you can even expect. Then it went a little bit further, and it said, if you want to see what that hope looks like, Noah Webster went on to say, here it is, It's an expectation founded in the promises of God. That's how Noah Webster explained hope. Well, now I take you back to the Bible. And the Bible in the New Testament was written in common Greek. And one of the best references could be Vine's Expository Dictionary. And just taking that, because now I want to know how would God have the word hope explained in Scripture? There's two words for that. It's not important that you know the Greek word, it is important that you know what it means. It means favorable and confident expectation with the unseen in the future. And I like that because when it talks about hope here, it's not hope in something that you can make happen, something that you can actually visibly touch. It is something that you believe is going to happen in the unseen world, and it is in the future. It is a hope of something better that you can't see. The second Greek word is the one I really like. It is the word to hope or to trust. But when it's found, it's found. I'm, I'm not trying to wow you with my, my study here, folks. What I am trying to do is to excite you on hope. In the Bible, when it talks about hope, you're going to find that as we're going to go through a lot of verses on hope. But in the New Testament, it often uses hope with four different adjectives. And these adjectives actually is like putting icing on the cake of hope. It's like putting salt on your popcorn, so to speak. And here's what it is. It's not just hope, it's good hope. It's blessed hope, or the blessed hope. It is living hope. It is better hope. So we have what we might call the post-toasty of hope. It's just a little bit better than all the rest. Now that'll date me, won't it? And that's the kind of hope that we have as a Christian, that the world would like to have, and they sometimes will try to manufacture a life that would give that to them, but necessarily won't. Now, the definition that we've kind of put together based on all that I've just read to you, it has now come to this, and you see it in your outline for you. Hope is the confidence in God, not in ourselves, but it's confidence in God to work out the future for my life, even when it doesn't seem possible or right. So if I have authentic biblical hope, then I have enough confidence in God that God will work out my future that will be right, even if I don't understand it even if i don 't seem to to be able to figure it out i 've got that kind of hope in God now with that in mind, before I go over some scripture i 've got a little bit of time here i 'd like you to just bear with me for a moment. There are going to be some of you that are going to be asking the question what could cause depression and suicide on a practical level? In other words, what might Satan do in the unseen world to tempt believers and non believers to go in that direction? and then have certain things cataclysmically happen emotionally that could bring them down to the point of committing suicide. Now, I'm not going into the bipolar thing or maybe you've got some uh, actual physiological brain injury that brings you to the point of suicide. I'm not talking about that. You're off your meds, so to speak. There may be something I could say to that. I don't want to go too far on a limb. But listen to these. Some causes of depression and suicide. Being rejected early in life, tension in the family, sibling rivalry, moving often, I'm thinking of military and some people in ministry. Lack of quality support in groups, unrealistic standards, rigid rules, lack of unconditional love, learning disabilities, poor communications, poor eating habits, lack of goals, low or no self-esteem, desire for revenge or retention, rejection or neglection by family or friends, rock music, TV violence, video games that are of that nature, poor sleeping habits. Now, let me step aside for a moment. If all of us would be willing to approach this information humbly and honestly, we probably could come to this conclusion. I could find a half a dozen of those things you just listed as a cause of depression and suicide, but I haven't committed suicide. I don't have those levels of depression. You are absolutely right. I am not going to say those causes is an automatic slam dunk. You're now going to commit suicide. I am going to tell you that those are little flags that we see that we want to be a little bit careful. The street is a little bit wet. It doesn't mean that because it's wet we're going to have an accident and die. But it does mean that we ought to watch that street because there's some rain coming down on it. And maybe some of us, we've seen that rain, we've learned how to adjust it in our own life. But others have not learned how to slow down around that wet curve. And we might need to be there to help them. So what are some of the other signals Noticeable changes in behavior, dramatic changes of grades for the worse, different peer groups, or shifting peer groups or friends, change in school attendance, feeling helpless or hopeless, a day's look, severe change in eating habits, talking about suicide or maybe even have attempted it once, rapid weight gain or loss, and the list goes on and on when you get into such things as Dungeons and Dragons and all the different kinds of games out there that are coming on the market faster than I can even keep up with to give to you. Lack of faith in God. Well, let's talk about hope again. Let's go back to some very positive things here. What does hope bring us? In other words, when I do have hope, the hope of God within me, what could that bring me? Opposite of what we just discussed, what would be the inner thing that it would give me? And I've given you a litany of things. There's so many here that I'm going to go through them a little bit faster than normal instead of preaching a whole message on each point. I just want to kind of go through these. And the reason I'm doing that now is because I want to whet your appetite to those of you that are saying, you know what, I, I want to have that. I want what you're saying, Pastor. I want to have that hope. If you do, let me tell you, this is what hope will bring you so that you would want it. Those of you that even now have a suicide note written or a plan devised in your mind, especially young people right now, since you are the higher percentage I want to tell you, for just a moment, lay that plan aside. I'm not going to deny that you have pain or that certain, certain things have now catapulted you into a position of saying, it is hopeless. My, my future is hopeless for me. And I don't care how much we scream at you to say, the best is yet to come. You don't believe it. I know that. But for just a moment, would you allow the Spirit of God, because He loves you, you were created in His mind before you, you were in your mother's womb, you've got purpose in living, please just listen to this. All right, first of all, what does hope bring you? It can bring you joy and comfort. Now, notice where it comes from. It says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope.